Shall the youth of Zion falter in defending truth and right? Will the enemy assail it? Shall we shrink or shun the fight? No! <laughs> true, true to the faith that our parents have cherished. True to the truth for which martyrs Jordan Peterson, you've said that men need to, quote, grow the hell up. Tell me why. Well, because there's nothing uglier than an old infant. Hey. <laughs> this is Infants on Thrones. The philosophies of men mingled with humans. We are the core. Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Ostland, and this is part two of our conversation about Jordan Peterson, Sam Harris, and truth. So let's pick right up where we left off with Bob not throwing fellow infant John Hamer under the bus for John's inability to explain the things that he describes as completely inexplainable. Wait a minute, what? He would just say... Let's, we don't need to talk about that. That's beside the point. It's not like P- Peterson is, is team pretender horses. He's team, it doesn't matter. That's the wrong conversation. This is a metaphorical truth. And uh, in some ways, maybe this will get me in trouble, but I, I feel like w- we've had a little bit of this discussion sometimes with, with, uh, with, with our very own infant, John Hamer, because he's kind of, if you ask John Hamer to find truth or define God, he's not going to come up with like answers that, that you would necessarily expect or that would be like, you know, status quo. And that's to his credit. Like he's trying to repurpose what religion used to be and take the good parts. And I'm going to butcher, you know, I'm sure he could insert himself here and say it better. But I find some interesting parallels that I can't help but bring up because there's like these two paths to this, to this worldview. It's like, do you take religion and try to repurpose it and redefine words that people aren't going to necessarily think of those definitions when they first use them? Or do you just disregard it like Sam Harris style? And you're like, ah, we're past that. Let's, let's, let's redefine humanity now with what we know we know instead of like, Oh, this was important at one point. Let's not let go of it. You know? Um, and I, I don't know that there's like a one right answer, but I, I, I think it's, it's a valid differing of approach. Yeah, I, and I, I, I want to go back to what I said before about the, the humility, because I, I, think, I think the way that I said that, that was, that was my takeaway from what Jordan Peterson was saying, even if that's not mainly his claim. Mm. Um, that it, and so when, when you express frustration at somebody like Peterson or somebody like John Hamer, and, and you ask them, to define God and they can't do it. And then you're like, yeah, pff, see, right. <laughs> they can't, you know, you know, like, so like if, if you say, well, God is something that evolved, has evolved over billions and billions and billions of years, even before this universe was formed, even before or afterwards, you believe in evolution, right? And you see, you see what happens with evolution. What would make you think that us having 
only evolved to the point that we have would actually have any way of conceiving of what that might be, you know? So you to me, like you can still reject any of these man-made um, claims of God being Jesus or, you know, Buddha or, you know, whoever you say it is, but, st- but still go, well, there could be something out there that's just bigger than we are. And we don't really know anything about it. And I can't really even talk about it because it's just ineffable. You know, mystics talk about, the experience of God as being ineffable, which means you can't describe it. And then you ask somebody to describe it and they can't do it. You go, see, it's not real. Then it's not useful. I think is part of the problem is like, well, well, but, but, but you look for the use in it, not in their ability to define what it is, but how it works in their life. It's hard to separate the usefulness and the power of what they like. There's, there needs like, it's going to end up in a normative statement about something. Like it's hard. It's just, it's, it's hard for me to square the circle of, God is is so big and so mysterious that we can't even understand that. But you know what we do know? Don't eat pork. Right. Right. Do it. Right. But you don't have like John Hamer doing that, right? He's not trying to have it both ways. That's true. At least, yes, he's, he, is. At least yes, he eats is pork. He? Is John trying to have it both ways? John. Well, John, John. I thought you said Jordan. Um, oh, no, no, John. Um, how, how is Jordan trying to have it both ways? I, I think that he, yeah, he does make normative statements about... Um, the, the, I mean, his whole de- divine. Explain what you mean by normative statements. I always pretend like I know what that means, but I don't really know what it means. What, what am I saying? Normative statements. Normative statements means like, don't do this or do this. Okay. You should do this. Oh, what's normal and what's not normal to do. Okay. Societal norms. Gotcha. I'm right there. Yeah. 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 Um, I forgot where I was going with this. Jordan um, Peterson does make normative statements on yeah, because too. because his whole by defining truth according to its moral implications, the moral implications are judged on the scale of a moral framework, and he has a specific moral framework in mind, even though he didn't refer to it in that mm. uh, in in that. But d- does he I'm claim pretty- that it, his authority from God, this thing that he can't describe? I don't know if that's where he derives the authority of the moral framework, but I think that's kind of implicit in what he's saying because it's, it's, it's a Western biblical morality. I mean, it's like, a, it's, it's a, it's, it's based on the Bible. Yeah. And he doesn't have a good answer, by the way. Like when Sam in other venues corners him and asks him like, what about the other half of humanity? Or it's even more than half. It's like the other 6 billion that aren't part of this 1 billion that you grew up in. I mean, do they need to come and view the world through your lens because you were grown up in the Christianity tradition or is theirs just as valid and you just haven't gotten to the retrofit of morality through the lens of their religion? Like what, what's going on here? Like, uh, or is there something that trans, this is, you know, kind of me butchering Sam Harris's perspective, or is there something that transcends all of this nonsense and we can just cut out the like, religious pretense and history as a basis for defining our morality and retrofitting, you know, that history of humanity into the present as to how we should live today and just sort of start with where we are now. And that's why I still, I go back to this like long game versus short game. I feel like Peterson is doing a lot of good for people who aren't ready to let go of, of whatever they grew up in. He, he's, he's a great way to like, think outside the box to use a, to, to use a trite phrase, but within the same, <laughs> within the box that you're still <laughs> part of, I guess. I don't know how to, like, you feel like I could, I could see how being a Christian Peterson fan would be like the best thing ever. Cause it's like, Oh, I knew it. It makes sense. Here's a guy who's it, 
it really, it's better than the crap that I'm, you know, dealing with at church every week. This guy gets it. Whereas, and then, and then on the flip side, it's probably really pompous of me to be like, well, I mean, sure, it's better than whatever the status quo was before Peterson came along for you, dear Christian fan. But that's very, like, you know, high horse of me to be like, well, you just have to transcend religion entirely. But that's kind of where, <laughs> <laughs> where I think it's, that's kind of what I believe, though. So, I mean, it is what it is. Well, and going back to <laughs> the, what you'd said earlier, Glenn, about being dismissive, where, you know, if, if Peterson says something like, well, you know, let's, well, if we look at, you know, what was said in Exodus, and then he uses it as whether it's a metaphor or analogy for whatever point he's driving at, whether it's in his book or in the interviews or whatever. Like, I don't know about the rest of you guys, but I still get mildly triggered because <laughs> I still think, okay, so he's using this book that's, I mean, for all intents and purposes, fiction. Yeah. Um, and why doesn't he just use like, you know, the trilogy of the Harry Potter series instead or whatever? Like, why is he, why does he go to the Bible of all things? You know, and I, I get the whole nuance, like, well, you, there's a lot of good, you know, things you can pull from it. There's a lot of good in that, in those stories. And there's no, a lot there's, of, a, but there's another answer to that, Tom. It's, it's that, that the, 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 the Bible has, um, come up through the ages, you know, whereas Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings hasn't as much. And th- there's this idea of tradition being communal creations where it's not just a single author that's created it, but, but there's like a, a group, um, I don't know, ethos around it, a a group feeling. So when, when he's bringing up something from the book of Exodus, something from the Bible, he can be more inclusive talking about Western tradition than he could if he brought up this, you know, something that JK Rowling wrote. Okay. Fair enough. That people have, that more people have bought into this. There's more skin in the game for more people in the world of what this actually means to them. And that makes his message more effective. If that's the the audience that he's going for. It's the short, it's the short game. It's the short run. It's, I guess, but you know, there's a lot of stories that he even pulls from that. I'm like, that's demonstrably terrible. That story. (laughs) You know, Lot yeah. and his daughters or whatever. Oh, I'm, let's talk about the book of Job or whatever. Like, it all makes I'm, sense. All those stories, like, I, I cringe. I'm like, geez, dude. But maybe you're right. Maybe he's casting a wide net and he's trying to catch as many fish as he can. Maybe that's what it is. But and, I, and, you know, like, it's, it's okay to be triggered by that stuff because you were, you, you were abused by those kinds of stories. You know? You, physically, you, you were, too. <laughs> Probably yeah. <laughs> thrown the book at you. Boy, uh, prove it. Yeah. Um, but you know, not everybody's had that experience with those stories in the Bible, and he's he's he he is using it like a book of Aesop's fables. You know, he's not he's not promoting it, and it's, at least in the things that I've heard him. When he I, but he's Bible. to me he's describing he's promoting it. Go ahead. He, well, I was just gonna say, I feel like he's ascribing, and this is this is very religious at its core. Is like correlating age with wisdom it's sort of the same way that like some people will really latch on to like and my grandfather used to tell me this and sure he's racist homophobic and you know back then they beat his wife and stuff but he had a really good point on how to how to go to work and keep your head up or something and he like, could clean a gun like nobody yeah or whatever <laughs> but he's <laughs> like he's coming at this from the perspective of Jungian archetypes, you know? So like when he talks about Cain and Abel and he says that Cain and Abel are kind of like this prototype archetypal 
brothers fighting against each other relationship that you you later see in the Jesus and Satan stories and you know things like that. I'm like that's interesting. It's just, yeah, for sure, it's, talking, for sure. it's just talking about human nature and and how human nature is expressed in these ancient texts um, and those threads that we might think of as being ancient are still with us. And what would they mean for us today in this world? Because it's just these archetypes, these things that, you know, so I, yeah, that's uh, a fair so point. He's just, I mean, a, he's just a Bible literary critic. He's, he's like the best version. He's like the, he's like the Bible whisperer. He's like the best interpretation <laughs> out there. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to, if you don't mind, tell you the story of Cain and Abel in a way that you probably haven't heard it. It's only a paragraph long, this story. and. I, I want to set it up first. So Cain and Abel are types from a classical religious interpretation standpoint, and they're, they, you might think about them as foreshadowing the emergence of the idea of Christ and Satan. So they're the, they're the idea of the hostile brothers, mm. and, and that, that idea pops up in fiction all the time. It's, it's, a, it's a constant. It's an archetype. It's man against his soul, say, or man against his darker nature. Uh, that that's the basic plot idea. So now Cain and Abel in in Genesis are actually the first two actual human beings because God or Adam and Eve are made by God. So somehow they're not exactly human. Play along with me for a minute. I know this isn't literally true, Sam. Mm-hmm. So I'm not trying to claim that it is. But Cain and Abel are the first two human beings that are born into the world instead of paradise. And Cain is a uh, an agriculturalist, and Abel is a shepherd. And of course, that shepherd theme echoes much later in through Christianity and also in the story of King David, partly because if you were going to be a shepherd back then, man, you were one tough dude because you had slingshots and sticks and there were lions after your sheep. So, you know, you weren't little boy blue in pastoral Victorian England. You were one tough character. So to be a shepherd was no joke. Anyways, Cain and Abel are are making their way through life and Cain is having a very rough time things aren't going his way at all whereas Abel everything goes his way all the women love him his flocks increase he's he's successful and the story also intimates that not only is he successful but everyone likes him and understands why he's successful whereas Cain is kind of bitter and nothing he ever does works out and so they both make sacrifices to God and I'll tell you Sam, when I started to understand what the discovery of sacrifice meant, it just about blew me out of my room because I realized that in the discovery of sacrifice, in the acting out of sacrifice, we had information pertaining to the earliest human discovery that you could let something of value go in the present and reap a reward in the future, which is a staggering realization. It's actually the discoverer of the future discovery of the future. Now, people had to act these things out and then represent them in stories before they could understand them psychologically. So Cain and Abel make sacrifices. And the idea is that to keep Yahweh happy, the patriarchal spirit happy, you have to sacrifice something of true value. It has to be a real genuine sacrifice or you or you won't reap the future rewards. And what and everyone knows what that means, Sam, because I ask my students all the time what their parents sacrificed to send them to university. And they all understand that perfectly well. And what's happened is their parents have made a bargain with the present, which is that they will forego certain kinds of gratification. 
so that they or even their children can reap a reward. They're making a bargain with the structure of reality. Now that was personified or anthropomorphized depending on, on which terminology you wanna use early when people were still sorting, starting to work these things out, but that didn't destroy the essential validity of the idea. Now, the story goes, Abel's sacrifices were valid. The story implies that, although it's a bit ambivalent. You never know if Cain is doing a bad job of sacrificing or if Yahweh is just being a son of a bitch and torturing him, which of course is a classic problem existentially because you don't know in your life when you fail if it's because you've been doing things wrong and not making the correct sacrifices, so to speak, or that fate is just treating you harshly and unjustly. But the story intimates that Cain is making errors in his sacrifices, whatever. Things don't go well for Cain and Abel continues to, to flourish. So Cain is very unhappy with this. And one day he decides to have it out with the creator of being, which you know is a pretty uh, ballsy thing to do, let's say. And so he goes and has a chat with God. And I've got this description of their conversation from looking at multiple translations of the original text. And he basically confronts Yahweh and he says, you know, what kind of stupid universe have you put together here? Um, this being that you've created is fundamentally flawed. I'm out there breaking myself in half, trying to make everything work and nothing ever works out for me. And then there's that damn Abel who he doesn't, he hardly has to lift a finger and, you know, women flock to him and his camels increase. It's like, it's unjust. It's, it's unjust and, and inappropriate and you should be called to task for it. And so that's the eternal story of people complaining about the fundamental tragedy and evil of being. So it's a pretty good argument. So God says to Cain, he says, look, you know, that's a pretty good argument, but here's how I look at it. You're like a man who's inside a house, and at the door of the house, there's this predatory cat that's sexually aroused, and it's it's sin. It's missing the mark, because that's what sin means. It means to miss the bullseye, and you have invited it into your house, this corruption and sin. You've invited it into your house voluntarily so that it can have its way with you sexually, so that, and you've, you've intertwined yourself with it creatively and brought something horrible forth and your suffering there therefore can be laid at your feet and you have no reason to call me on the structure of my creation and so of course that's the last thing that Cain wants to hear because he doesn't want to understand that he's at fault for making the wrong sacrifices so he trots on out of there and the story says that his countenance falls and that he's wrought which is to say almost nothing at all. And he decides that he's gonna serve God a good one and wander off and destroy his ideal, God's ideal, but also Cain's own ideal. So he kills his brother and leaves him dead. And that's the story of mankind. He's like the Bible whisperer. He's like the best interpretation <laughs> out there. It's true though. If you listen to anything, pick the, the most ridiculous Bible story and then get Peterson's take and you'll be like, oh yeah, huh. that's like the most generous, generous, interesting useful version of that it's still bullshit and like the worst version is still out there just as much as his version is what does that mean bullshit what do you mean it's bullshit it, Made up. It's, Cain, it's let's stick with Cain and Abel what's 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 bullshit about Cain and Abel well I, um there was no Cain there was okay. no Abel so why is it bullshit <laughs> I can agree with you on that I still don't think it's bullshit okay so if they didn't exist and the story didn't happen 
It's not bullshit. Like, well, then what? How, what, well, what term would you use? Made up? Pretend? Fiction? Or like what? What? Myth? It, it's like yeah. it, it's i mean the metaphorical truth of jealousy and not getting what you want and you know what drives you and and the human condition like there is there is some interesting things to be gleaned from it but it it does not merit the elevated stat it's it's not like this is you know a literary work of art it's just like retrofitting um some things that that you can learn from any decent fiction uh, of people being jealous of each other. I, I don't know. Maybe it's because it's one of the I old. Think he, I think, I think he's, he's uh, going for cultural currency. Sure. That's why he's using, you know, like when you say that something like this is bullshit, what, what it sounds to me like you're saying is it's not even worth talking about this. It's not even worth no, considering this. I, I think it's this worth bullshit. That's a fair point. I was pretty harsh there. And I think it's worth parsing out what it means. I think that's me like a knee jerk reaction because of the profundity it was granted for so long in my life in the context of the religion I grew up in, which I I think it exists in others outside of Mormonism. So there's this billion plus people who are taking Cain and Abel as this story that in the way that they're taking it um, feels like that's where my calling bullshit comes from in the way that Peterson is ascribing truth to it. I could actually, you know, partially subscribe to or be like, that's interesting. But do I need to read that book every year for the rest of my life and treat it like this canonized version of, of how to live life forever and ever? And, you know, ascribe to it this level of truth that supersedes anything else that I might do in my life by expanding beyond the core tenets of whatever my religion tells me to get out of this? That's where I'm saying it's bullshit. It's not nearly as valuable as people assume it is. And he's, he's kind of trying to like point out how it is. And I'm like, sure, but you're not making up the difference for how ridiculously overused it is. But if, if, uh, if I remember right, the point that he was making with the Cain and Abel story was that in order to get anything good, you have to sacrifice something. And kind of the more that you sacrifice, the more, and, and like the attitude that you have in sacrificing that, you know, like whether that's, a, that's accurate or not, you know, we could debate, but that was the point that he was trying to make and using the Cain and Abel story uh, as a way to illustrate that. Now, if, if that's something that is valuable to you, that Mm -hmm. you have to, uh, you you have to give before you can get, you have to sacrifice Mm -hmm. and you've got other people on the other side of the aisle that don't agree with you on a lot of ideological ways, but you can come together and agree. Oh yeah, you do have to sacrifice, you know, something to, to get something back. We can all agree on that. Then, then maybe you're like able to bring people together based on the truth of what it's saying rather than the delivery method or the vehicle through which that message is being taught, you know? Yeah. Well, well, I hear you. And, and Yes, I, I agree. I, I agree with Bob. Like I hear you. I see where you're coming from, but in your experience, hmm. when you got to the point with Mormonism that you're like, I now no longer believe that any of this really literally happened like i don't really believe in the underlying facts of any of this nephites lamanites first vision gold plates how did your how did that change your relationship to mormonism in the sense of like it's its ability to motivate in the way you live your life well i'll tell you the way that it changed my relationship to mormonism is that it it um it isol- it started isolating me from the group because I I still I, I still was quite the believer 
when I started taking a metaphorical approach to these stories that I couldn't take as literal anymore. And I went, well, why do they have to be literal? Because Jesus spoke in parables. The good Samaritan was, you know, nobody thought that there was really a good Samaritan, you know, all all these parables that he saw. So there could be good messages in there. But when I started sharing that approach with other Mormons around me, there were a few that, you know, like-mindedly could go into a metaphorical state that were like, okay, yeah, we're with you. That That's cool. We like it. But then there were others who were like, what do you mean? Don't talk about, don't talk to me about Job being a fairy tale. You know, that happened in a gospel doctrine class once where <laughs> I'm like, can, can we stop talking about Job's wife as if she was a real person and start talking about these people as characters in a fairy tale and just people like turned around like, what? No, no, it's lit. So, so, so it, it was, so it wasn't so much the stories themselves, but how I was using them was swimming against the stream. And the group says, uh-uh. well, I, and that's what I'm sorry. I, I want, okay, well, let's, 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 <laughs> let's get, into, let's get, let's get you guys close together. That, using that, was, right. that was, I guess the point that I was trying to make by asking that was the second that I divorced all, all, all um, factuality, all, all belief, all literal belief in the, in the underlying facts of Mormon beliefs. When I lost that, the core of my um, motivation and my adherence to the moral framework just started to evaporate. Mm-hmm. And it took mm-hmm. a while, but it was just, it was, it was going out. It was going, it was, you know, it was like a bucket. It was like a bucket with water running into it and a hole in the bottom. And it just, it, eventually the hole got bigger than the stream coming in. And it just, it, it basically it eroded my ability and my motivation to allow it to bind me to the community and, and give me fulfillment in my life. And I think that Jordan Peterson is fine right now saying, talking about it in archetypal ways, because he's really standing like he he's, he's kind of, he's kind of drafting, on the energy of all the people that really do believe it literally. And that's the majority of people that, that, that adhere to the Bible or believe it literally. And he's drafting in that motivation. But if everyone really adopted that, I think that the adherence and the moral power, the, the normative power of the tales would evaporate. Mm. I, just, I just don't think that you can divorce the factual belief underlying these, these spiritual stories from the motivation to allow them to guide how you live your life. Well, and, and just kind of build off what you guys were saying when, when you'd asked the question, Jake, and I was thinking to myself, once I lost that fundamental, you know, once I thought it's not literally true anymore, that these historical things in my head, this North America, South America, Mesoamerica bullshit. Once, once, once there really I, is a North and South America. <laughs> but the once, plates being once, in them. <laughs> once that switch went off in my head, I actually felt myself metaphorically go into my head on the library shelf, take the Book of Mormon from the nonfiction section and move it over to the fiction section next to Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings. And as soon as I did that, then it's like, you know, because I compartmentalized that section as like, oh, that's for, that's for entertainment, for, you know, fun. And if I just need to let loose or something like that. But the nonfiction stuff is the real shit. And I, you know, and I moved the Book of Mormon first and then I moved parts of the Bible until it all went over there. But then, then I'm like, okay, so 
that's important for me to live my life to realize that they're very, very separate. And so it is hard for me to go, all right, so Peterson and says, well, take out the Bible and look at it. Okay, yeah, there was good to be gleaned from certain aspects of the Old Testament. But there's that part of me that's like, yeah, but you pulled that book from the non or from the fiction section. It's bullshit. Like, I mean, you can pull any number of books, random books in the fiction section and pull moralistic, ethically great, wonderful stories that can make your life better. Why yeah. the Bible? Oh, because it's the longest living one. Yeah, but there's so much terrible stuff in it, like terrible things in there. That's a, oh, and, but you know, there's still pieces of corn in the turd. So yeah. you know, you just look at it like statistically, there's still ten percent that's good. Like what? <laughs> that's why I, I think in a in a way you're kind of endorsing some of the better fictions that are self aware that they're fictions. Like think of like Dostoevsky or um. There's a lot of stuff that's fiction that you can learn from. It's not like fiction negates the value proposition of, of telling moral tales. It's just that it's this weird double, it's, it's it, it, under the pretense of like, well, wink, wink, I guess technically it's fiction. If you were to, if you were to corner Peterson with the mic off, maybe he'd kind of admit as much, but he doesn't want to deflate that wake of energy, like, uh, how did you say it, Jake? You had a really good way. Like he's like coasting or just trailing behind it. Um, and as soon as you deflate that balloon and it's like, no, no, this is fiction. Like all the other fiction, then it's like, well, then does the Bible really hold up? Like if this 1 billion plus people thinks of the Bible as fiction, as, as the pretense of gleaning useful information from it, how well does it hold up to the other fiction? I might submit to you that there are other works of fiction that could probably do better. It's, it's because of that meet them where they are sort of factor, which is, you know, Jordan Peterson's methodology versus Sam Harris's. I think there's also like a version of this in Mormonism is that do you burn it all down or do you do the big tent like pre 2015 John DeLynn, like let's all become Mormon in our stay LDS way or whatever until he's like, Oh, that's not going to work. Um, or is it like burn it all down, let it, let it regress to the point where they do the new policy and then it's just going to shrink to this church of less than a million until it's like only 3000 fundamentalists left. I mean, I don't, I don't think we have the answer, but it's just two different approaches to the problem. But I just like, even if, so imagine if, even if you're the biggest Dostoevsky fan ever, like, I don't think that I'm ever going to, get up at six and help somebody move <laughs> because it's like, you know, crime and punishment <laughs> and club, like book club, you know, like there's this motivate, like there's this element of like, maybe that just means that you're a dick Jake. And that like, if you're part of a book club, that's like a Dostoevsky book club and everybody loves reading Dostoevsky and somebody's moving and other people go out and help them move. And you're like, fuck that. I'm not going to do it. Dostoevsky's not true. So you need like <laughs> miracles and magic to be able to help your neighbor. Is that what you're saying? Jake? <laughs> Yeah, yes, I kind of like I am kind of saying that. <laughs> it's, it's just I mean, think about it. Like how much how much like in interpersonal service have you done since you left the Mormon community and didn't and no longer thought oh, I'm going to I'm going to literally go and ha- go to heaven and like create a universe. <laughs> like if I didn't literally like when I stopped when that bubble popped and I didn't <laughs> literally think I was going to go to heaven. Uh-huh. I was like Eh, not getting up. <laughs> like it's just it's there. I and maybe that's because I'm 
really narrow-minded, but I don't think that that I don't think that I'm in the minority in that case. Well, I'm going to tell you that I think that what you've done with Brother Jake and even what you've done with Infants on Thrones is a different kind of service. There you go. And you've done like it. Absolutely not. But it is. <laughs> no, it's absolutely not. This is me like being self-aggrandizing. And, and I, I, I basically am farming my insecurities out to like thousands of anonymous internet posters and then just being awash in their praise. Like, oh my, of course I'm a genius. <laughs> I help people indirectly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if that's uh, I mean, if that's equally, I should have done this a long time ago. That's <laughs> yeah. on the same level. I, I just I don't think out. it is. It's just, I yeah. said it's a different kind of service. <laughs> yeah, no, self-service. It is. <laughs> I, no, dude, you you've you've uh, made a lot of people smile. You brought a you brought joy to a lot of people. That's a good thing. Okay, well, I, I, proud mean, of it. I, I I appreciate that, and I don't want to be um, shitty then, and compliment, but I also wasn't fishing. <laughs> So I just don't, I don't know how to, I don't but, know. but then Jake spinning around what you were saying, what's the inverse of that? So are you trying to say that like, it's too bad that the only way people are good is by subscribing to magic in the sky. It'd be really nice if we could figure out how not to have that be the catalyst for humanity to be good. So I guess it's okay that magic in the sky is the way that we are good to each other. Like what's the end game? Like, what do you suggest we do? Um, I, I don't really have an answer because I don't think that I, I, I just, I, I don't have an answer, and that's why I was sympathetic to what Peterson was saying in this mm. in this um, argument because, like, it's it's addressing this gap. I think, like, in an indirect way, it was addressing this gap in, like, I don't know what we should be doing right. because, in some ways, I do like like what John Hamer um, did when I've spoken to him in the past. It's a very pragmatic of approach of like. Mm-hmm. It's a lot easier to grab the levers of the existing power structure than it mm-hmm. is to build up an entire new infrastructure, like like community infrastructure from scratch. So, you know, that's basically what he's doing. He's, you know, the call's coming from inside the house <laughs> with John Amer. Like it's, yeah. it's, he's grabbing, he's taking hold of like the existing infrastructure and he has a vision of how to make it uh, of how to, to, to leverage it, to be able to accomplish his goals. And that's something that like, I really respect, but I don't have like the vision or the dedication or just the raw in, intellectual brain power to like, to do, I can't be John Hamer in this way because you basically have to, um, I just not like, I'm not as strategic as he is in that case, you know? Well, but it's even more than that, not to, not to call you out, but I'll, I'll just use myself as a point of reference. The fact that John Hamer is doing that, still doesn't mean that I've joined John Hamer's church. Like I don't even do the basic thing of like passively following that approach. But then the other approach, it's not like, you know, Sam Harris, what is he doing? He's like talking about meditation and creating a meditation app and just saying how we just need more forms of discussion. And I like that. And I think, you know, these people doing these long form podcasts is helping and there's, there's some value there, but it's certainly not a, a a replacement or uh, it's not, it's nowhere near, the motivational level that we all experienced being subscribed to Mormonism in the in back in the day. So I, I don't think it's binary. I don't think it's like you have to disown the John Hamer approach and, and you know, that's going no, I, I think that's part of the value of Peterson is like this, this stop gap, this bridge. I'd like to think that we don't need it, but we kind of do because that's just where people are and you have to meet them there. But then Again, without trying to sound too, you know, holier than thou, I feel like 
for those of us who don't need the bridge, it's nice to just hang out on the other side in our ability to do no service for anyone and which <laughs> 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 is awesome <laughs> something i don't know what i'm saying anyway whatever. so i guess we're just addressing the the big vacuum that is left after we stop believing huh yeah i wish there was a way to to have some larger grasp on how to um get together and do communal things and have some stake in the morality discussion that isn't so individualistic, but I think that's what most of us post-Mormon pseudo-atheists become is just selfish bastards. That <laughs> well, it's, a, it's a reality check, though, when, when you realize when all that gets stripped away that you're like, okay, so what's my true motivation? Do, do I get up and help the local food bank this morning or do I sleep in or go play golf? Right. How, like how, how many times, Tom, have you volunteered for like the Uh-oh. suicide groups and like oh. you and your wife doing um, mixed faith couple well, stuff? Like you, you, like I bet you've done more service yeah. outside of Mormonism than you did as a begrudging, oh shit, I got to go home teaching again. I don't know. That, that's a good question. I, you know, and I, that, I think, that, that's because of you, because you see well, these issues that are important. You want to do something, you want to make a difference and you have. No, you're, you're right. <laughs> Thanks, Jake. <laughs> no, I, I, I agree. But I, I think I'm, I'm sort of internally motivated and I, and I do, I guess I do have to give Mormonism a lot of credit in that way because when I was in the church, I got a lot of, I don't know, personal satisfaction when I would help someone, when I helped them move or whatever, you know, countless service activities that you'd be, quote, forced to do. Uh, when I would do that, I would still walk away like, okay, I'm satisfying my duty to God, but I'd also walk away with a great deal of personal satisfaction as well. And luckily for me, when I did unplug, that I realized that that vacuum was, was there. I wanted to help in other ways. So yeah, when I went and got involved in the suicide stuff and the mixed faith stuff, yeah, that, that was a huge benefit to me. You know, it, to me, it's, and I know I've used this metaphor a lot, it, it helps me sleep at night. Like when I, when I get done with the day and I'm, and I'm wrapping up, I don't know how you guys are, but a lot of thoughts go through my mind. Am I, am I doing what I want to be doing? Am I on the right tr- track? Am I on the right path? Am I satisfied with what I, where I've gone, whether it's today or this month or this year? And if have I done well, any good in well, the no. world right, God. today? <laughs> All right. Anyway, That's what so it is, got, isn't it? Y'all got triggered there. Sorry. <laughs> 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 no, but, but when I do, when I really, really help people, then yeah, I, it, I sleep better at night. And even that feels a little bit selfish. But I know that I'm not because I'm helping other people. And especially when I get the follow-up stuff and and people reach out to me and say that was really helpful and stuff like that. That's really beneficial. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like, but like I said, I feel like I'm sort of an anomaly. Most of the people I know that leave the church fall into that camp of like, Oh dude, this is great. I get to be debaucherous. I get to do whatever I want. Uh, <laughs> fall, you know, right to the bottom of the, the beer bottle that they're drinking or whatever, because it's, it's that pleasure cycle that they're seeking that they feel like they've either missed out on or they regret. I don't know what it is. I ne- I've never really f- fell down that trap, I guess. I don't know. 
So how, how much help have you done, Glenn, in your little area? <laughs> I don't know. I've been the one that's been telling you guys about yours. How come you're not telling me about mine? What's you up know, with I'll, that? I'll, I'll, I'll chime in here. Well, I mean, Glenn's, you know, Glenn's been a, a, a brought uh, happiness to many people that have listened to the podcast and continue to listen to the podcast. But I, I it, it still doesn't feel as, as, as I mean, I, I sorry, I, I'm doing a bad job. Uh, <laughs> You're like, you still like because I, I'm falling down the same like apprehension about it that I had about you, you complimenting me. But like, sure. it's, um. Now I mean, you're trapped. you're 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 a, uh, a juggernaut in the uh, ex Mormon community. I mean, that's that's juggernaut people that that say what juggernaut in a good way. That's funny. Okay. <laughs> You know, you've helped uh, thousands of people that have list that listen to podcasts. I mean, how many times have people said, you know what, that like the, you know, helping this podcast has kept my sanity. It's helped me feel grounded in a time in my life that was incredibly chaotic and incredibly tumultuous. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But it still feels like uh, th- there's. Um, but, uh, but I guess I, st- I I feel chastened by like Tom's example because he's like he's out there, man. I mean, he's doing the real shit. Yeah. Well, I, I think every single one of us, we, we learned the, the values that we have now in our life. You know, it's not like we stopped believing in Mormonism we, and we stopped having, you know, a, a sense of morality or a sense of what's right and wrong and a sense of what, what we value doing and whether it's helping others or just helping our family members or however it is, you know. So I, 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 I just kind of bristle at this, this kind of talk that once, once you leave Mormonism, you know, you don't serve people anymore. And it's like, yeah, you're not compelled to, but I think there's still stuff that you do. Yeah. I, okay. So this is, this is the, the thing that really comes down to it is I don't get up early for anything. I don't absolutely have to anymore. <laughs> and I feel like getting up early is like the ultimate sacrifice for me. So it's like the idea that like, I, I don't, I, I don't wake up earlier than I absolutely have to ever. Um, especially for the church. And I just can't think, even though just getting up, I know that like going to church and just sitting in the pews doesn't, um, it doesn't serve anybody, but it does demonstrate that like, I was willing to do something I hated <laughs> for the, because I believed in this thing. And like, I'm not willing to do something I hate that much for anything anymore, except for my, uh, I wake up, I wake up for my child. So I guess uh-huh. that's, that's something. <laughs> but, <laughs> Is your child uh, true then? (laughs) Yeah, I I guess. Um, But I I guess that—that's. I guess that's that's really what it comes comes down to. Are you beating yourself up because of that? Because I'm not getting up early to go to church, or for anything. Like you you get up early for your for your kid. You get up early to go to work. That's it. Yeah, you're beating yourself up for that. A little bit, just because, like, it's just knock it off. You don't need to beat but, yourself up for that. But but the but thing it just demonstrates that like this thing had the power to motivate me like nothing else in my life. And if nothing else can motivate me like that, maybe maybe there is a value to like that kind of thing, even though sometimes the motivation they end up killing people. So like that's you know, it goes both ways. But <laughs> you kind of want to find the sweet spot <laughs> before you kill you people. Wait, but like, you know, <laughs> You're like you're you're lashing yourself with these Mormon formed whips that you said you'd let well, go. Of. But like, let go, of the, let go of the Mormon formed whips. You don't need to feel bad that you don't wake up early in the morning like you did when you were Mormon. But it feels like so many degrees. Bad, Jake. Feels, it feels, I, I hear what Jake's saying because it's, it's so far off. It's not like 
because I'm not Mormon, I do 10% less service. It's like, because I'm not Mormon, I do one-tenth or less of the service. I, I mean, just let's all ask ourselves, this, this is a stupid proxy, but it just proves the point. I remember at one point thinking, you know, this 10% that I pay to the church, what if I paid it to the charities I choose? Yeah, so, so take that. And then like when it came right down to it, I've never given even close to 10% to anyone after giving it to the church. Don't don't say that out loud, Bob. (laughs) That doesn't look good. I know, but it's the truth. I've been given 25%. (laughs) But that's, yes, thank you, Bob. That's exactly the type of thing I'm talking about. My charity, if you look at my tax returns, it's like one to two or something. It's like ridiculously orders of magnitude, the other direction, not even close. So it's not, it's hard for me to be like, oh yeah, I still do good things in my life and they're just different. It's like, yeah, and they're also different because they're 10% of what they used to be. Have you even tried the personal experiment by saying, all right, I'm going to find one charity just to see what it does to me internally. All right, I'm going to take, you know, like a thousand dollars. I'm going to donate to a charity that I really feel good about. I researched, okay, this is solid. It's going to, it's good move. I'm going to do it just to see what it does to you morally or internally. Have you done that? Performed that experiment? You don't have to wear a lab or lab coat to do it. Try it. <laughs> and what happens? I don't know. That's what I'm asking. Like <laughs> if you should try it because maybe, maybe there'll be a new Bob along the horizon. You're like, Oh my gosh. And your wife will start having sex with you more. I don't know. Like it could be. <laughs> That's what, thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I give to charity. There's this direct correlation. <laughs> yeah. Put out more, baby. <laughs> Philanthropy is a panty dropper. Everybody knows. <laughs> Gosh. Okay. Um, now I don't know how to frame that experiment to really want to try it in a way that I could report back <laughs> Selfish Bob is taking over again. Come on now. I don't know where we're going with that. But the point being that none of us, we all do fun, good things and um, – especially Tom, I I know that we don't want to necessarily sit here and shower each other with compliments, but I'm proud of the work that you do. Just knowing you by extension, it's pretty cool. And even that I'm pretty sure is less than whatever you did in the church. So I just want you to know. (laughs) I don't know, man. I mean, shit that you deal with is like heavy. That's true. That's true. It's not all just like it's apples and oranges. You can't just quantify it straight across time spent or whatever. But anyway, it is a struggle because the structural... Uh, integrity that's there when you subscribe to the religion or the organization that facilitates that sort of involvement from a community level, when it's stripped away and you don't have the belief system and then you fall off, then you end up having these discussions where you're like, I wish I did more, but I don't feel motivated, but I don't like being motivated by fake truths. Damn it. What do I do? All right. Nothing. All right. It was good talking. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. Because it's like when you have that internalized guilt, you're like, well, it's not the divine guilt that I used to deal with, right? <laughs> you know, the, the God was looking at me like, well, you know, eternally you're going to be damned. But now it's just like, well, if, if I just, you know, if I drink one beer, if I watch this show, then I'll kind of forget about it. <laughs> and then, it's, hey, then, then I'm better off that. Yeah. I know dealing with guilt is way different now. Yeah. But at least it's like guilt from a reasonable source. Is that even fair to say? A like we're, we're, we're feeling guilty in the right way. No, maybe that's, that's still, that's too much, like, that's too much credit. <laughs> like, feeling guilty because of the church is like, oh, fuck that shit. But now feeling, <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like at least now when we feel guilty, it's more, uh, there's just more humanity coming through. It's not because we're, like, subscribed to the 
the carrot being dangled from the stick that we're worried about. Oh, will I live with my family forever? Well, that's probably the wrong way to want to help your neighbor anyway. So maybe you should rethink that, you know, but then again, help is help. if It has an outcome regardless of the motivation. So who's well, we to all, say? We all need help, you know, and I think, I, I think you're right because it's one of the things that I I've tried to do is if I, if I start to feel bad, where it's like, I should be doing more, I should be helping more. I should be giving more. I actually, you know, even to you, Jake, I kind of have to force myself to do it. Whether I make a Google calendar, like, okay, this Sunday I am going to the food bank, no matter what I'm, I've set the appointment. It's in my phone. So I have to do it. I don't have yeah. any other out. And if I yeah. do, that, then you do it. Well, so and I have to capitalize on that. Yeah. And I think the reality is, is both worldviews happening at the same time. And let me phrase it this way. When I first watched Schindler's List and I saw that scene, you know, spoiler alert, where, you know, (laughs) 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 know, I've never seen it. Come on. (laughs) Schindler's List is about amazing human being who ends up saving a lot of lives by facilitating the escape of people through blah, blah, blah. The point is, there's this scene toward the end where he's like, if I would have just done this more, if I would have just done this, and it was super impactful, and it brought me to tears, and it's like, yes, this guy is just like the epitome of the best version of humanity. If we would have only done all of that more. And then, when I watched the Seinfeld reenactment of it, and it's done for comedy, I couldn't stop laughing. Aaron, are you okay? I could have done more. I could have done so much more. You did enough. No. I could have called the travel agency, got them on another flight to Paris. I could have got them out. You tried, Aaron. It's too expensive. This watch. This watch could have paid for their whole trip. This ring. This ring is one more dinner I could have taken them out to. Water. They need some water. Why? Go get the hydrant another plane. Get the same boat some water. And it was funny because it was also true that like when you reduce that to the core message and then you make it about like, um, well, you guys have to watch that Seinfeld episode if you haven't seen it. The point is both realities are true. You can take it seriously, but you can also laugh at it. You really do want to be the best version of yourself and help everyone as much as possible. Then you kind of need to like step back and make fun of yourself for thinking that that's like the, the, the only way to view life is just how much more could have I done incrementally if I would have just done this much more with the time that I have in my spare time. Um, so there's no right answer. You just kind of got to live somewhere in the middle. That's my two cents. Non-religious. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Amen. Ramen. Yeah. That, that was, that, that was a weird tangent from Jordan Peterson's truth to like feeling yeah. guilty about not doing service. It's almost, it's almost like it, 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 maybe it, it proves Jordan Peterson's point that you really do need to devalue truth because uh, this false concept that these things were true, that turned out to not really be true because everything that you did was built on this idea of them being true. As soon as you found out they weren't true, you stopped doing the good things. So maybe I like it. devalued. How Jordan Peterson of you to retrofit what happened with an explanation that matches back to the thing that I love it. It's good. But at the, co- but okay. at the cost of chipping away what is actual truth, factual truth. That's the thing. 
Like, yeah, okay, so, I see what you're yeah. saying, Glenn. Like, oh yeah, he has a really, you know, overarching moralistic. So, opinion. so then what is, how do you define what is true? Facts. That's like not, what, that's not a definition of what is true. If, if something it, is if a fact, then it's true. What well, did Sam Harris say in that discussion? He said that if, if humans didn't exist and that would still happen, is that not true? Is that not facts? That's the way I see it. Like, if, yeah. if you can take your consciousness, your person, human beings out of the equation, and that still happens, that's true. You know, Peterson had a really good point about all of Sam Harrison's micro examples. He designed them to fit exactly the conclusion that he wants but them to have. But they're good examples. Sure, they are. If if that's the they're but great. but so like you're 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 saying if there was no humanity, would blah 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 be so? We don't know. How do you know? <laughs> but then we don't know anything. I know we don't. We're wiped out. We know that the Earth would still just, rotate around the sun. I mean, that's how we know. Yeah. Okay. So something that so so would the Earth still rotate around the Sun if there weren't any humans on the planet? Yeah. Is that your question? Mm -hmm. But but Peterson would probably say, but there'd be no one to observe it. There'd be no one to record it. So would it be? I I, I hate that stuff. I I thought that they really summed it up well when when they at least agreed to the framework that Peterson believes morality comes first. And then you figure out what to do with the facts. And, and Harris believes facts come first. And then you figure out what your morality is as a result mm, of that. That's a good way of summing it up. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and from that perspective, I do lean more Team Harris just because there, there's something to be said about being grounded in reality that just doesn't sit. Like uh, Peterson just has too much subjectivity. Like there's too many ways for that to go wrong to be like, I'm going to start from a blank page because morality is independent of facts. And it's like, well, that's like, you can get to ISIS and Al Qaeda just as quickly as, you know, um, I'd rather start with facts and then figure out how to live a good life um, based on that, that common grounding that we all have rather than us, you know, give everyone in the room a blank piece of paper and be like, let's all draw a rabbit and then be surprised when everybody draws a different rabbit. It's like, or we could just like agree that this picture on the wall is a rabbit. And then we, you know, are you, so Glenn, are you team Peterson then? Like I didn't actually hear you make a, like where you lean. Oh, is that really important for you to be able to put a label on me, Tom? <laughs> yeah, because oh. That way I can categorize you properly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I don't, I, I don't think I'm, I, so I'll say it this way. If, if I was, um, if the Lord ever called me to be Bishop of the world, um, I, I would ask Sam Harris to be my first counselor and Jordan Peterson to be my second. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Because the, then I could ask them their views on things and I get, you know, I can, I can weigh them against each other and then make the wrong choice, you know, and, mm-hmm. I don't know. And then flip a coin or whatever. Yeah. Bishop I, I, I mean, there, there's things, there's things I like about Peterson. There's things I don't like about Peterson. Sure. I, I, I think, I think his, his insistence, his, his lack of agreeing to use a word other than truth. I don't like, so I'm not team. Let's redefine truth mm. to, to Jordan Peterson's definition of truth. I think that's silly to define truth as it's only true if it's, uh, beneficial. And, and I, I loved Sam Harris, you know, Sam Harris uses this example of if you're, 
wife is having an affair and you see the <laughs> photographs of it. And because of those photographs, you commit suicide and that's not a beneficial outcome. So is it true that she had an affair? If someone says that your wife is cheating on you, presumably that's within the realm of possibility, provided that you have a wife and you're going to want evidence. And what would constitute evidence? Well, here's, here's evidence. I saw it in a dream. Well, that's bad evidence. Well, here's evidence. I hired a private investigator, and here are 17 pictures of her at various locations with a man you've never seen before, and he looks like Brad Pitt. Now, all of a sudden, presumably you're interested, right? Now, the claim about whether or not she's cheating on you is an intelligible claim. We could drill down on what it might mean. Does it? Does she have to be having sex with this person to be cheating on you? Well, let's say yes, she does. Okay, so then there's a claim about what she's actually doing with this person in a locked room somewhere when you're not around. That's a claim that has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not you wind up killing yourself based on your reaction to this unhappy truth. If you then wound up killing yourself, we could say at the end of the day, well, it would be better if he hadn't known that. It would certainly be better if she hadn't done that. It would have been better if he had married a different woman. Surely we would want to say that. It might be a better if he would have paid attention to his damn marriage and to attribute the sure. and to attribute the cause of his demise to the existence of the photographs. This is why I brought up Josh Green, is that investigations into this kind of morality always frame it in Jordan, such a way that... Jordan, you have to grant one thing here. There's one piece that doesn't get moved here. You cannot move the piece that because you killed yourself, it's not true that she was having an affair. That move is not open to you, and yet you're acting like it is. Well... You know, I think we've been going down this road for so long that I'm not exactly capable of them at the moment of making the micro uh, example, macro example leap. And it was just silence, silence, like totally silence. But but then Peterson actually came back with some good points after a little bit. You know, you're making a case there that it's sort of quasi associated with science. That's the photographic evidence and the realism that's associated with that. And then you're making the claim that, you know, it's not true that she wasn't having an affair. I'd have to take that apart more. He killed himself. Like you're throwing a lot of things into that example that I believe are contextually important to my unpacking the ethics behind it. You know, because you're equating the fact that she had an affair to him committing suicide, which, you know, there's a whole backstory there. And it also depends to a large degree precisely on what you mean by an affair, which was something that you brushed over. So, you know, you're acting. That's the problem with these damn micro examples is that, and this is why I don't trust Josh Green's work. It's because you, you set up a narrative that's completely fictional and you act as if each of the subcomponents of the narrative are isolated truths that have no external context. You say, well, the external context has no bearing on the issue at hand. And that's just generally not true. But it's still, I just, I, I, I think that Sam Harris did a really good job of showing the ridiculousness of uh, Peterson's position and Peterson just did not 
but was not willing to relinquish it. And it wasn't ever totally explicitly clear why, just that he wouldn't. And when, well, when Peterson would try to go on to other things, Harris wouldn't let him. <laughs> What's that? What? The Bible, the Bible shaped hole, the definition of truth collapses when you, when, when you accept that truth can exist outside of your moral framework. I mean, I think that's, that's really what Harris is arguing for is let's put together a definition of truth from which we can drive morality so that we have a forward looking yes, um, yes. reactive se- we we have a framework to go forward into new uncharted territories mm-hmm. and be able to react to them in a way that's yeah. dynamic in a way that is grounded in what we know right now right and i think that what what peterson is trying to say and i think the reason it wasn't clear he was he was giving up the supposition is because he wants to leave that hole of like actually i'm starting with the bible's morality and i'm working backward into that and fit, fitting the facts into my moral framework rather than deriving a moral framework from the facts as they exist hmm. and i think that that it's it's a because because the because the interpretation is fixed in his mind be, around the biblical moral framework he doesn't need to be able to react to it. So yeah. it doesn't really matter what the facts are because he's going to reinterpret them into a moral framework. He doesn't, it doesn't matter what they, what they are going forward. Right. And they can move all the time because, Hey, the morality's fixed around the Bible. Yeah. But then, but then to get utilitarian about it, what do you guys think if zooming out and, and, it, and there's evidence to suggest this, but let's assume it's at, at an even greater scale that Peterson is having a greater effect on people out there and, and, quote unquote, driving more change or more good through his methodology, as flawed as it may be relative to what Harris is doing. And, and I'm like team Harris and I want to like skip ahead to that version of how to generate morality. That's to the benefit of all humanity, if we can even go that far. But then I see that like Peterson is, you know, let's, let's just for the sake of argument say, say that he's having five times the effect. Does that make how about this? Does that make what he's doing more true? Eh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> According to whose definition of truth? Jordan's own <laughs> definition of truth. I don't know, but it's, it's, the question is like, does it matter if something isn't perfect, if it's having way more impact with its flaws versus going for that more objective, hoped for state that's just not as attractive to the majority of people by comparison. I, I don't know how that f- factors into the discussion, but it just fascinates me because I, I want to see humanity evolve and improve itself and figure out this common good in a better way. And if Peterson is the way to do that faster with his stopgap bridge approach, who am I to say, but it's not all the way there. Team Harris has it more figured out or, or whatever. I, I'm being a little reductive here, but for the sake of argument, I think it's an interesting thought experiment. I, I think w- w- one of the things that I got out of Peterson's book, and I, I don't remember any specific examples for it, but he, he kind of has this point that um, liberals tend to react pretty quickly and put a solution to a problem into place that they haven't really thought through. Yeah, and then that solution fair. ends up creating even more problems. And so, actually, having a conservative approach is better because you're less likely to throw this half-baked solution out there and create more problems with it. And and I heard that, and I went, "Oh, okay, I could kind of see that." And like for the first time in a long time, I thought, "Okay, conservatism doesn't just mean Tea Party, <laughs> and, <laughs> right?" And, and and so I I think that 
you know, my, my take on this is different than yours, Jake. I don't, I don't get the sense that he's really got all that much um, skin in the game when it comes to the Bible and holding that up as the, the standard for morality, but that he wants to say, let's be careful with what we do and let's be very, very careful. And so the things that you get frustrated with Tom, where it seems like he's equivocating because he's like, well, it depends. It could be this, it could be this. I think what he's doing is trying to say, let's be really careful and say, if, if we're going to say that this thing is true, let's, let, let's see how it works in the real world. When there are all these variables that can't be controlled for, and we can see how they influence each other, and then we'll see if this is a worthwhile truth. Uh, he, the word he kept coming back to was true enough. Is it true enough? Is it true enough? And, and, and that's where that morality comes in, if it's beneficial or not. So I, I, I think it's a, a more cautious approach. Um, I think that's what's motivating him. That's, no, in, I, that's interesting. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I don't, I don't, uh, it doesn't make it better. It still feels slippery. Yeah. And it feels kind of arrogant in a way to be like, you know, science, I don't know. Is it true enough? Like to ascribe, cause I do feel like Peterson sometimes, um, wants to challenge some very basic assumptions by widening the, the scope, you know? So, so, like, I, I, this isn't fair, but there's a part of me that thinks like he could figure out a way to like bring in flat earthers and and make them feel good because you never know. And it's just like, can we just can we just have some sort of baseline that we don't have to be like true enough or isn't it? And it's just like there's some foundational stuff that would be really nice to get past instead of just assuming that everything's up for grabs and nothing is real. It's all subjective and we don't really know. So let's be cautious, you know, to the nth degree, to the point where there's no action happening. I mean, maybe that's a stereotype of the worst part of his, his approach, but that's what I'm afraid of sometimes. No, that's, that's good. I, I don't know about you guys, but it feels like we're winding down. You mean you don't want to just uh, do what they did and just talk about the same thing like five times over and over again? No. I think you just did a really good service there, Tom. <laughs> just chalk that up with all the other good services. <laughs> That's worth like 1% of your time to think that you're not paying. So that does it for our first attempt to discuss truth from the Jordan Peterson, Sam Harris podcast episode that was published over a year and a half ago. And in closing, I want to say a few things and I'll follow up uh, more on these things with what I record for our Patreon supporters. But first, in the course of editing both part one and part two of this conversation and listening back multiple times to what Peterson and Harris were saying, as well as listening to Peterson talk about his own shortcomings in this discussion on the two most recent podcasts that he did with Joe Rogan. Now I think I understand a lot better where Peterson was coming from than I did during the course of this discussion. And as a result, I'm also much more of a fan of Jordan Peterson. And, you know, given the choice over again, I would probably ask him to be first counselor 
and Harris to be my second, you know, when God calls me to be Bishop of the World, which would probably be hard for Peterson to be a first counselor since he's already much more of a prophet in the Lehi calling the people of Jerusalem to repentance model than any leaders of the Mormon church have been since Joseph Smith. But anyway, we will explore more of Jordan Peterson's ideas in future episodes, especially because some of his ideas uh, gave me, I don't know, a different take around all this weird stuff around leaving the Mormon church that I've been publicly wrestling with via podcast episodes like these for the past 10 years. You're welcome. I don't know. (laughs) But in this conversation, we never really did come to any resolution or any consensus on what is actually meant by truth, did we? Um, So Nick Johnson, who's one of our Patreon supporters, he asked a really good question. He said, is there a difference between lowercase truth and capital T truth? Which I think is referencing something that um, I said in the introduction to part one. Well, Nick, we will talk about that question as a panel at another time on a future episode. But just quickly for me, I think that lowercase truth would be those individually subjective truths, you know, those things that maybe I could apply to myself, but I don't generally apply as any kind of universal standard to everybody else. Like maybe that I feel better on days when I make my bed in the morning and I pick my clothes up off of the floor than I do on all those other days when I don't. Maybe not everybody has that experience, but I do little t truth, maybe. Whereas capital T truth would be something more universally applicable, like that in a vacuum on the planet Earth, all objects, be they bowling balls or feathers, fall at the same rate regardless of their mass. 9.8 meters per second squared, baby. Of course, we don't live in a vacuum, but still. Capital T truth, have at it. But my biggest takeaway, I think, from all of this is that the word truth, like all words really, is an imperfect collection of sounds that are meant to symbolize more than one kind of idea. And it definitely means different things in different contexts. So, like when the Beach Boys sing... You know, they mean something about loyalty and pride and support. And when Cindy Lauper sings, but I see your true colors shining through. I see your true colors. That's why I love you. Well, she means something about that unempirically revelatory thing that shows what your underlying character is about, right? And when Norbert Leo butts from the musical version of Dirty Rotten Scoundrel sings um magic can happen anywhere I knew this guy at camp who ate his t-shirt on a dare my hotel gives away free shampoo nothing is too wonderful to be true go on oh jeez Sometimes God grants your heart's desires. Once I was caller number eight, I won a set of tires. They held up that midget with crazy glue. Nothing is too wonderful.
wonderful to be true Well, okay, I, I just think that's a funny song, and I wanted to play that clip of it. And not to pin a fart on my heart, but I did see that musical live on Broadway with the original cast, and it was awesome in a little tea truth kind of way. But my point is that Jordan Peterson definitely convinced me, and sorry, Tom, but he convinced me that things really are more complicated than simple. Not everything in this world can be reduced to a simple true or false equation. So in that case, universally using a word like true that suggests that things are more simple and maybe more clear cut than they actually are can in some situations be problematic. Now that doesn't mean that there are not measurable facts. So I don't know, maybe you could say something like all facts are true or at least all true facts are true, but that not all truths are facts? I don't know. Maybe that's trying to tie it up in too simple of a bow and therefore makes that couplet um, not very true. But I don't know. What I do know is this. I'm sorry. I was wrong, Brett Williams. Brett Williams, who left a comment on our website. I was wrong about the way that I characterized Bill C-16. <laughs> That much is definitely true. I was wrong. And you are right about me being wrong about it. Um, And maybe Peterson's interpretation of that bill and his response to it, maybe that's wrong too. I don't know. But my point in mentioning it on part one of this discussion was that I think that Peterson's response to Bill C-16, whether it's true or not, can provide contextual insight into his way of viewing truth. Right? See the difference there? And, you know, I could be wrong about that too. But there you go. A retraction, sort of, but thank you for the comment on the website. And finally, to another commenter on the website, Etsek, I don't know, E-T-S-E-Q, you know, you were very upset about what Randy said on this episode, you know, that Randy wasn't actually on, you know, this anonymous commenter who used to love the podcast, but now he doesn't because four straight white guys kept whining on and on about trans people and their pronouns. How very Elder Cunningham of you. You're making things up again. And how deliciously ironic that on an episode about the potentially slippery nature of truth, you would evidence so clearly the way that internal bias trumps actual listening comprehension skills. You're either a brilliant satirist or a fucking idiot. Capital T Truth for the fail. Hello, brothers and sisters. This is Elder E. Eldon Elderman of the Seventh Quorum of the Seventy. When I'm not interviewing children about their masturbation practices, I monitor the Infants on Thrones podcast for the Strengthening the Members Committee. If you really like what you hear, you can jeopardize your eternal salvation by giving the quorum a five-star rating and writing a short review on iTunes. I didn't, but that's because I want to be resurrected with my genitalia intact. Anyone for the closing prayer? And maybe we'll get John... I bet John... 
If he probably doesn't. Uh, he doesn't he listen. Never no, he yeah, never listens to anything. He'll never know this exists until there's yeah, a comment like, about I feel it. Like if somebody he points it out to it, I feel like he would vehemently disagree with ways that we characterize what he said, and he would come on and explain it in a way that made us all really confused. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Leave that in as an Easter egg. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Infants on Thrones.